What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Live life falls to the wall Do epic shit Take every dare that comes your way You can sleep when you're dead This is the personal motto of Cindy Whitehead who is our guest this week on What got you there Cindy conquered the male-dominated profession of pro-vert skateboarding in the 70s. Since then, Cindy has gone on to coin the term sports stylist, working as a fashion stylist for the past 25 years. She specialized in sports with companies like Gatorade, Nike, and the NBA. She's also worked with athletes such as Tiger Woods, Michelle Kwan, Kobe Bryant, and more. In 2013, Cindy created the brand Girl is not a four-letter word. She was inducted into the Skateboarding Hall of Fame on May 13, 2016. Her new photography book, It's Not About Pretty, showcases the female empowerment skateboarding brings to girls and women alike. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you've got quite a background here, and a lot of these things I cannot wait to dive into. But before we get started, you seem like a morning person to me. How'd you start your day? Oh, I'm totally a morning person. I get up <laughs> about 5.30 every day, jump out of bed, start working, <clears throat> checking emails immediately, and then I kind of just go on to other things, you know, everything else after that. So nothing really planned? You just kind of get up and go and kind of do what the day gives you? I do because I deal with a lot of overseas clients and New York clients, so I have to see what's going on in email first to see how my day is going to go if a job's not already booked or scheduled. So I kind of just check all that and then go from there. And it's like, can I get to Soul Cycle this morning or is there a conference call? <laughs> I mean, is that important for you? Kind of freeing up your mental space with something like Soul Cycle or if it if it happens, it happens. If not, no worries. You know what? If it happens, it happens. I try not to stress about it because I fit things in wherever I can. I mean, yesterday I went for a three mile skate um, with a bunch of friends. So, you, you know, I just take it where it goes and, and how it comes. And I just kind of like, live it a little loose and freer than having so much of a schedule because the rest of my life is very scheduled. I got you. Now, have you always been that way kind of since you started your career? Yeah. Or that blossom? Yeah, I, I kind of think so because um, shoots are very scheduled and predetermined and we know what we're doing and when we're doing it and when we're traveling and that sort of thing. I think I like the rest of my life to be a little bit more free. I'm the person you can call at the last minute and say, hey, do you want to go do this? And if I'm available, I will jump on board and do it. I'm not the person you can call and schedule things two to three weeks in advance because I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing or where I'll be. Oh, no, I love that. So I know we kind of hit on some current day things, and we're definitely going to get into the skateboarding, current projects you're working on. But I'm really curious what you were like as a kid and kind of what influences and people shaped your path. <laughs> as a kid, I was probably a wild child is what my family would say. <laughs> always getting into something, always trying something new, doing things I probably wasn't supposed to. Um, I remember riding a big wheel, which was kind of an oversized tricycle. It was made out of um, plastic, really large back in the day, riding it down the middle of my street, oblivious to cars behind me and just going as fast as I could and getting in so much trouble for that. And that was when I was about six. So I think I was always doing something different. There's a video of me riding a tricycle, playing my ukulele while I was riding down the sidewalk in Hermosa Beach. I think it was always a bit different and I didn't really care. And I think um, in my family, I was a bit of the, like I said, a different one. And uh, that was acceptable. That was okay. My grandparents were really behind that, especially my grandmother and just allowed me to be me. And so did my parents. 
Yeah, no, your grandmother, someone I've heard you mention and kind of read a little bit about in the past. Um, do you think there's a big change uh, with someone like you growing up and how kids are being raised today and not really having that freedom of expression? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that I didn't have everybody watching over me, you know, constant 24-7. I was allowed to explore and do and it was a safer world back then too. I mean, I roamed the streets of Hermosa Beach all, all hours of the day and into the evening. And I knew when I was supposed to be home and I could tell that by where the sun was in the sky. I mean, even if I was at the beach and I knew I had to be home at three o'clock because we were going to play that evening or something, I could make a sundial on the sand and figure that out. I didn't have a watch. I didn't have an iPhone. I just knew where I was supposed to be and when. And, you know, sometimes I was a little late, but um, I had a lot of freedom. And I think nowadays it is a bit different with kids. There's there's more worries in the world. And, and I think parents are a bit more um, controlling as far as what they allow their kids to do and, and uh, where they go. So it is a different world for sure. I mean, do you think the freedom your grandmother gave you is probably the number one thing that made you who you are and how successful you are across so many different things? Absolutely. I had the freedom to explore. I had the freedom to create I had the freedom to um, basically never be told what I was doing was wrong or it wouldn't work out or it couldn't happen. If I wanted to build a rocket ship, you know, in the park and make it go sky high with um, some batteries and some wires, my grandfather would show me how to do that, but let me do it. Um, he would teach me how to use sulfates and make things, you know, to, to make little explosions, not big <laughs> ones, just little ones. I was, I was allowed to live my life how I wanted. And that was kind of predominantly back then what you would consider a, like, um, a, I don't want to say like a boy, but doing things that were a little more just adventurous. But I had other female friends who were doing exactly the same right along with me. So it was great. I mean, speaking of that female empowerment, I mean, where, where did you get that, that you felt you could be one of the few girls going up to the skate park and, and fitting right in and not being afraid to take chances there? I, I think it was both my grandmother um, telling me that and always, you know, just, just saying you're just like your brother and the other boys. And I also think it was the boys around me and the few girls that I had around me. We all had the same mentality. Um, the core boys in my tribe, if you will, I don't remember them ever saying, hey, get out of here. You're a girl. They were just like, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, it's like, it's the people you hang out with. It's your tribe and you better pick your tribe very carefully because I think they shape who you are later on. Do you think so many people are afraid to try certain things based on how they perceive the tribe's going to accept them or not accept them? Do you think that's why a lot of people don't take certain chances? Oh yeah, absolutely. I see it all the time. And I also see as an adult people trying to curtail what I do or want to do or what they think I should be doing. And I hear those comments and I still see it. And I think, wow, you know, if I still see and hear these things at my age as an adult, what are kids today going through? <clears throat> because we didn't have social media back in my day. And the influences from outside sources and people around you are insane right now, what these kids are subjected to and people's opinions. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into it more, but it's why I love a lot of the work you're currently doing. I mean, do you have any advice for, for kids growing up today and being influenced by all of the things on social media and how they're judging themselves? Is there anything they could be doing to kind of help with their self-image? Yeah, I, I think so. I think taking a break from social media is key. I think um, as a young girl named Saber Norris in Australia is getting a lot of media attention for surfing right now, has said is 
you know, she's been told, don't read the comments. And I've told people this for a long time. I made the mistake of reading comments when things went viral. That's your biggest mistake. Um, you know what's right for you. Your family is probably a big influence on you. Your close circle of friends know what's right and wrong, and they'll be honest and tell you. Um, they will encourage you and uh, get you to spread your wings and fly. But people who don't know you, you know, that could be just somebody sitting in a basement very unhappy or at work very unhappy and just making a comment. They may feel bad about it later, but the comment is already made. And if you let that get into your head, that's what's going to stop you from doing what you want to do. It's all about surrounding yourself with the right people in that tribe. So that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's talk about September 30th, 2012. Take us back to that day and that morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a fun day. Um, I had actually been really, really ill. I had been on a photo shoot um, away in another state and had come home and I was very, very sick. And I had actually been in the hospital while I was gone. And I got home and I was still recovering, but we knew that Carmageddon, where they were shutting down the 405 freeway to rebuild the bridge, this was the second time of this portion of the, the bridge rebuilding, was happening. And we had talked, my husband and I had talked for a while about, wow, I should really skateboard down that section. And I, I'll be honest, I asked some friends to go with me. I'm not all for keeping the fun to myself. I want everybody to have fun. And, you know, I heard everything from no way, uh -uh, I'm not getting arrested to, you know, I have a real job. I keep doing that uh, to, I think I'm busy that day. Yeah. And I thought, okay, so it's, it's just me. Got it. I, I see how this is going and I respect people's opinions. Their life is their life. They're adults and I have to do what I want to do and they don't fault me for it. So I can't fault them for doing what they want to do or not do. So we figured out we had to get up about four o'clock in the morning and be on the road by five and um, figure out how to get into the freeway. And we thought we kind of knew, but this time, second time Carmageddon, they really fenced off every portion of the freeway near that section so that you couldn't crawl up the inner bank, you know, the, the side of the banks of the freeway and get on. They put police at every entrance and exit so you couldn't get on. It was crazy. We spent two and a half hours trying to find places to get on. I mean, I'll be honest with you. We hopped fences. We <laughs> went up embankments. We cut through a couple of people's backyards, said hi along the way. <laughs> and um, people were pretty cool, actually. And uh, we were driving home, and finally we saw a hole in the fence. And, you know, Ian, my husband, was like, okay, if you want to do it, this is your chance right here, right now. And my heart was racing. I have to tell you, when it came down to actually trying to run to get on that freeway, it was, it was crazy. But I went up the freeway. He went down. He had his camera. I knew just to skate and do my thing and he'd capture it, hopefully. <laughs> and then we had to get back to the car. And when we got back to the car, I had already devised, I don't know. I think I was like, I was wanting to be Jesse James in another life when I was a kid or something. I had devised a plan that I'd throw the skateboard in the back of the car with the little pullover thing where you couldn't see it. <laughs> I'd pull off my sweatshirt. I'd throw my tennis shoes in there, put flip flops on, put a baseball hat on changed my whole look up completely. So that way, if we got pulled over, I would be like, that doesn't even look yeah. like me. That's not the description at all. So <clears throat> my father was an attorney and uh, he's passed on, but I'm sure he'd be like raising his eyebrows. Yeah. And why would you even think of all that? But yeah, it worked out great. And those pictures went viral and it was, it was a great day actually. I mean, I just, I'm fascinated and just love you willing to take that risk and, and just seeing this opportunity and, and just jumping for it. I mean, that is so cool. And and thank goodness uh, your husband was able to get the uh, the footage so you guys didn't have to do a round two. 
Yeah. And you know, I, I really thought it through. It's not like I don't think about these things. I think about consequences. I mean, people who take risks usually do. I mean, there are people who take risks and just really don't think about anything, but I think in business, you calculate your risks and you say, okay, what do I have to lose or gain by taking this risk? And for me, like the gain was fun. I didn't know if it'd be any more than that. And the risk was, okay, I could get arrested and go to jail. Well, what will that cost me? Well, it'll cost me a fine. It'll cost me, um, you know, a mark on my record. I may have to go to court. I work in an industry where <laughs> people aren't really going to worry about that too much. <laughs> it's not white collar crime. I didn't do anything really bad. Um, that's not going to harm me. But if I did work in a serious industry and I worked at a like quote unquote real job, maybe I would feel differently, but I hope not. I hope I would still be me and do what I like to do. I mean, you're someone I can't ever imagine working for a real job, quote unquote. Is that the case or did you just happen to fall into what you do? I, I did work, um, for a corporate entity, uh, for a while when I was younger for about a year and they had layoffs. And I think I was probably the only one there that was jumping up and down going, this is amazing. <laughs> you get paid and you get laid off and it's summer and you can just go surf and skate all summer. This is great. And, um, you know, I'm sure people were looking at me like, uh, no, it's not a good thing. And I <laughs> thought, God, this is perfect. I can find something else I want to do without being a quitter. And it had given me a little bit of stability in the industry that I wanted to be in. And I just had a really great summer. And until that money ran out, I, uh, then finally looked for another job and that's what led me to being a stylist. So it, it was, it was perfect. I think you take opportunities when they come and you, you know, sit back and have fun when those opportunities aren't there yet. And then you create those opportunities. So creating those opportunities, do you mind if we jump more into how you actually went and became a sports stylist? How does that transition just happen from corporate to sports stylist? Yeah, well, I was, um, the, the corporate world that I was in, I was actually working in a photo division of that company. And I saw that there were stylists for some of the products that they did. And I thought that's really interesting. And when I had to look for another job, you know, my mom always said, sit down and think about where you would work. If you could work anywhere you wanted, what would your dream job be? So she even taught me, you know, don't think small, think big, think about what would make you happy. So I did. And I sent two resumes off and one was to um, a magazine that shot swimwear all over the world. And I was like, wow, that'd be cool. <laughs> like I could just travel all over the world with these people and style their swimwear. And um, the man who started that magazine was actually kind of a genius. He had started Runner's World magazine in his garage when he was 18 years old. He was a visionary. He was someone that I, you know, I had to go to the library to read up on him before I met with him. So I was meeting with the CEO of the company when I flew up there for the interview. Now I got the interview because he said, I just wanted to see what a pro skateboarder looked like. It said that on other interests on your resume. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to get that girl to fly up here because I want to meet her. <laughs> so that's what, that's what got me in the door. Um, there was no job position open. They just wanted to meet me. But by the end of the hour interview, he had created a position for me and I worked there for the next year. And that's how I got my start styling. And I came back to LA, got an agent, continued to do all that kind of work, um, celebrities, that sort of thing. And then one day, uh, my husband, actually, we were dating at the time. He met a photographer who just did sports and that was unheard of back then. And I aligned with him and started doing just sports and Within two years, I switched my whole focus of my business to just doing athletes. 
Man, Cindy, that is a, a great story. Uh, one I, did, I was unaware of. So that was fun to hear that. Uh, I mean, so you mentioned that you started doing the styling and it, it was something that your mom said, if you could do anything, what would you be doing? Do you think you truly had a passion for it then? Or did you kind of work at it and become very good? And that's when the passion developed even more? Oh, no, I think I think I always had a passion for it. I mean, even back when I skated, I was always asking um, some of my team sponsors like Sims, can you make this baby blue T-shirt with a pink Sims logo? Well, the Sims logo is red. That's their logo. <laughs> for Now I look back on it, knowing more about corporate logos and, you know, just trademarks and things like that. And I think, oh, my gosh, they, they were really bending over backwards for me yeah. to take that logo and put it in a different way just for me. They would make me custom pieces that I asked for. Um, some of those I still have, actually. They're still here. I still own them. And um, I was always like figuring out sticker placement on the helmet. And I was always matching my socks to my shirt and doing like different things. I always wanted to stand out a bit from the boys at the skate park. So I was always into fashion. And I remember looking through like, I think, Seventeen Magazine or Cosmo back in the day and seeing an ad for Jordache jeans and how they had styled that ad. Although I did not know that you styled an ad. I just knew that I liked what she looked like. It was my vibe. And I was like, that's super cool. I'm going to emulate that. And I wanted to go out and buy those exact pieces and make that look mine with a little twist to it. So I think I always wanted to do that. I just didn't know that job existed. I had no idea that it was possible to be the person who put that together. Talking about creating your own personal style, what do you have to say to people who are kind of looking for what they like, what, what they feel comfortable in? I see so many people just trying to do what quote unquote is trendy, but aren't really being authentic to themselves. Any recommendations there? Yeah, I think you know when you're just trying to be trendy because you don't feel comfortable. I mean, <clears throat> trends are great. And sometimes you do want to grab those trends and, and wear them and, and they look great on you. But I think it's always incorporating pieces of those trends into your own lifestyle and what works with you. Like I've always been very bohemian and I've always been very layered. And years and years ago, it was very hard to find the <clears throat> pieces that I wanted without going to like, say, the Rick Owens level at Barney's type thing. And now a lot of people are knocking that off and you can get it at any price point and level. But I've always dressed that way. That's been my thing. But sometimes, you know, when I go out, I'll throw like a really interesting different necklace with it and people will be like, oh, I didn't even know that was your style. I'm like, everything's my style when I wear it and I put it together with everything else that I like and I feel comfortable. That's your style. Your style can change and evolve. It can uh, stay the same. It's it's really up to you. But I think you being 100% comfortable when you walk out the door, that's what makes your style your style. I feel like my biggest takeaway from this talk is going to be just being comfortable with yourself. It seems like you are so comfortable in everything you do where you're not afraid to take these risks. You're not afraid to dress the way you enjoy. So, I mean, that's just great to hear. And I hope our listeners really take a lot out of that as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, being comfortable with you is the most important thing. And I do see people around me, adults mainly, who definitely didn't feel comfortable growing up with who they are. And you can see that even as an adult, how they feel about the world around them and themselves and how it manifests into conversations, um, the way life plays out for them. And I, I feel bad because if somebody had told them early on, it's okay to be you and you're awesome, no matter who you are, 
you have a really different take on life. You you have a little bit more security in everything that you do and people you deal with. You know when someone's not right for you. You know when your tribe is not your tribe. And you know to hold the people close that are because um, they're, you know, they're the best thing you've got. You're your small tribe of close friends. And I don't think it's a big one. I think there's a very small group of people who are very close to you. And then you have people who spread out around you. And, and you make sure that they're all good people and you get rid of the bad apples. That's the key. I mean, just hearing you say that reminds me of just how much of an impact your grandmother really did have on you. And it's still playing out today. So nice work there, grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, what is the number one thing you see holding people back from taking that risk and going after something they might love, like you jumping into sports styling? I, I think it's fair. It's, it's fear on a lot of levels. It's fear of what other people will think and say. It's financial fear. It's um, will I succeed and be able to do this? There's a lot of different fear levels. And I think if you, um, that's another thing that I was taught when I was younger is to sit down with a piece of paper and write the pros and the cons, write the good and the bad. Um, and when you write those things down, they don't become so scary anymore. You look at them on paper and you're like, okay, so people might make fun of me or people might think that that's not cool or whatever it is. Is that really going to you know, make or break you at the end of the day? Now, if it's a financial fear, what safeguards do you have in place so that you can succeed? You know, do you have a cushion of money? Do you, could you live very simply? Do you have low overhead? What is it that enables you to do the things that you want to do? And I think for me, um, I'm, I'm most afraid of boredom. That's the one thing that I am really afraid of. And I will never allow myself to get bored. And if I'm bored at one thing, I move to the next and then I jump back to the other. So I'm not afraid of, um, financial or what other people think. I'm simply afraid <laughs> of being bored. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't take it as you're someone who can just sit there and do nothing in an afternoon. So <laughs> avoid the boredom for sure. Exactly. So, I mean, what is one of the biggest risks you're taking today? I know we mentioned back in 2012, riding on the 405. What about today? What are the risks you're taking? I, I think um, some of the risks that I'm taking are more in line with girl is not a four letter word and promoting female skateboarding. Um, there's times when you need to speak up about women's equality and, um, paychecks for women versus men in a sport that we all love. And I, I think that's, that's always scary. You're putting yourself out there. You are saying what you know is right. And what a lot of other people know is right, but how do we get there? And there's other factors leading up to that. But the bottom line is women deserve to be paid what men are paid for the same job they do. Now, I'm seeing a lot of changes in other realms of sports, like with the U.S. women's soccer team going after um, their organization saying, you know, we deserve equal pay. We bring in more viewers and more fill more seats than the men's team does. But yet we stay in kind of low end hotels. We're not paid the same. There's all these things. Now the women's um, it's a hockey team has stood up and said the same. And I just heard this morning that the men's um, national team is standing behind them and refusing to play games until they get what they deserve. And I love that. I think, I think when collectively a group of women stand up for what they know is right, and when we have men stand up with us, I think that makes a greater impact. And I think it's a scary thing to do to be the first one to stand up, but when you have people around standing up with you, that makes it less scary. 
Yeah, no, I hadn't heard about the news of uh, the men's team supporting. So that's great to hear. Yes. So, I mean, can we talk about when you're about to make that jump and start the brand, girl is not a four-letter word? I mean, you had to be scared and so many thoughts going through your head when you're about to launch that. Tell us a little bit about that time. Well, actually, that's one of the brands and the things that I've done that's been a bit more organic. Um, it just kind of happened, and I kind of slid into it where it was piece by piece. So it wasn't such a big leap as it was with sports styling and moving my whole career to being a sports stylist where I had to make a definitive decision immediately and kind of walk away from everything else I was doing. This was kind of more organic in the fact that, you know, it it happened with um, a chance barbecue with some people at my house who suggested I do a board with Dwindle Distribution, which is a big skateboard company that's very male dominated and very popular And they had a brand called Dusters in there. And the creative director of Dusters was at this barbecue. And we started talking and a mutual friend introduced us. And one thing led to another and we did the first collab board. So that was, it was very simple and it was very natural and it just happened and it was great. And the transition was very easy. The board sold out faster than they thought. And they were like, wow, this actually is something, you know, this can go somewhere. It's not a vanity project like we originally thought both sides were thinking it might be. And so it's, uh, we're on the seventh board right now. I just road tested the fifth board or sixth board yesterday for three and a half miles. Is that down the 405? Um, No, no, (laughs) that was actually through the streets of downtown LA during Ciclavia. It's where they close a bunch of the major thoroughfares down and you can skate bicycle through the streets of, of LA and it's actually legal. And so I road tested that longboard yesterday for about three and a half miles. It was awesome. So um, that's how the Girls Not a Four-Letter Word brand was originally born is through Dusters California. But then the website came soon after that to highlight girls and skateboarding. And then the products evolved from there. So it kind of went piece by piece and it was an easy transition. It wasn't all at once where I was so overwhelmed. Now with the book, <laughs> it's one more component and it is getting a little, I wouldn't say overwhelming. It's, it's getting amazing. It's more and more people are finding out about girls skateboarding, which we love. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about the book for my listeners that might not know uh, your new book? It's not about pretty, which is a photography book. Yes. It's not about pretty, a book about radical skater girls just came out and it's 144 pages and features 65 different skater girls all the way from downhill to street to vert to pool portraits uh soul skating basically everything that's out there in skateboarding is highlighted in this book um ian my husband is an advertising photographer and he actually shot for the 2002 winter olympics with the ioc and has done a lot of sports photography over the years. He volunteered his time over the last six years since 2012, I think we started shooting. And uh, he was just saying the other night to a group of people that was probably, I think, uh, 40,000 images originally narrowed down to about 200 that we gave our designer and then ended up with with this great book. And it just came out and it's it's doing really well. And people in skateboarding love it. But what I really like to see People who know nothing about girls skateboarding are picking up the book and going, this is cool. We've never seen anything like this. And we didn't know girls were doing this. And that's what we need. We need people outside of our sport appreciating these girls because that leads to the endorsement deals that they need on the outside to get where they need to go. Yeah, Cindy, I just have to applaud you and the empowerment you're bringing to girls and also women alike. So it's just great. And we'll be make sure to get the... uh 
the book in the show notes so people can check that out. I know it's available on Amazon. Yes. Um, so you were mentioning just some of the sports styling things. So what are some of the big changes you're expecting to see over the next decade in the sports styling world? Um, I think we're seeing more and more of, you know, things like athletes not just wearing sporty clothes in an editorial, like it's it's infused with fashion more. So I, I think we're seeing athletes dressing up more. I think we're seeing, you know, like a photo shoot where maybe you'd have a girl who's a soccer girl just wearing her soccer uniform. And we're saying, no, let's not do that. Let's put her jersey with a cool pair of jeans and a pair of boots. You know what I mean? Let's like create what, what they're calling athleisure now, kind of a mix and max, match of fashion time sport. And we see that in the fashion world too. They're embracing sport 100%. And I think the lines are being blurred and it's very cool. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly exciting time right now in, in fashion. Uh, I mean, do you think big brands are going to start to transition more towards those niche social media influencers and get away from some of the big name stars? Or do you think it's going to be continue to be dominated by the big name athletes? Well, I, I think it's already happening with the social media influencers. Um, I know that I just saw a pro skateboarder that I follow on Instagram that I know and who's in the book also, Lizzie Armanto, who's very big. And she just did an online social media campaign for Target. And that had to do with swimwear. So, you know, it would have been easy to plug in a surfer there, but they decided to plug in a skateboarder. Her social media following is very high. It makes total sense. It takes her out of the realm of skateboarding and puts her in mainstream, not necessarily mainstream fashion, but something that is not skateboarding related. And I think it's great. So I think that um, places like Target and even the bigger designers, I mean, we just had Poppy Star Olsen, who's another pro skateboarder. She skated a fashion show at uh, Fashion Week in Australia for a well-known designer. So we're seeing that more and more, and I, I think it's great. I love that the two worlds are colliding. Oh, yeah. Some of the opportunities being seen by these people are just unbelievable. So it's great seeing that. So I'm sure you get asked this plenty, but who's been your favorite athlete uh, to style? Yeah, I do get asked that a lot. And, you know, I have to say, um, I love all the guys that I work with. I work with a lot of pro golfers, baseball players, NFL. They've all been amazing. But I really have a soft spot for the women that I get to style because their photo shoots are fewer and, you know, less often than the men's usually because of the endorsement deals. So anytime that I have a pro female athlete on set and they're spending money to produce a commercial with her, I'm very, very excited. Um, and, and some of my you know, favorites have been girls from the U.S. soccer team, um, Bethany Hamilton, the surfer, um, people like that. And then also, you know, any girls in skateboarding, I've done a few with them over the years, too. And I am really excited for that because that means we're making it and we're getting where we need to go. Yeah, continuing to grow those those girls' personal brand. That's great. Exactly. Um, so when you are on set about to do a shoot, can you tell just by that athlete's presence that it's going to be a successful shoot? Do you see a reoccurring theme a lot of these athletes have where it's just going to be spectacular? Um, yes and no. I mean, sometimes when an athlete comes into a shoot, I had a swimmer once who I could tell by what the client wanted her to wear. She was not comfortable. So, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of times it's my job to be the liaison between the athlete and the client and the photographer and say, okay, look, this is what she's about this is comfortable. This over here is not comfortable. How do we compromise? How do we make it work? Because if she's not comfortable in front of the lens, you're going to see it. So 
we have that. And then also I think people have done a lot of photo shoots. They come onto set and they are also a lot more comfortable because they know what to expect. If the athlete is actually doing their sport, like we have a female skater and she comes in, she knows she's going to skate. She may be comfortable, but again, if she hasn't been on a lot of commercial shoots, she may not know what to expect. And sometimes if you don't have a technical advisor who's well-versed in skateboarding on set, they also don't know what to ask and say. And some of the things that they may ask for may be a bit unreasonable and somebody needs to step in. And usually it's not the athlete because that's uncomfortable and say, actually, you know, you can't hit the wall in the pool there. She needs to do that trick over here because she sets up for it. So I think um, it really just depends on the situation. But I think when they get there and they start working, they're, they love it. They're, they're always very excited. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you do a lot of interesting shoots, so I'm sure they're fun. Uh, what do you think is a major styling mistake uh, people are making today in their personal brand? Say, a uh, young person on social media trying to launch their own personal brand. W- what mistakes are they making? Um, you know, I would say too much skin sometimes, but then again, I think that depends on what it is and who you are. Now, if you're a surfer and you wear a tiny bikini every day, that's not showing too much skin. I think it's girls in general that I see that are, you know, just regular girls who are trying to develop their own personal style or brand and feeling that everything needs to be, um, overexposed, I think is the, is the key. And I don't think you need to do that. It's not, it's not necessary to create who you are and what you're about. And the other thing is, um, you know, the old adage of look in the mirror and take off two accessories. Sometimes people get a little exuberant (laughs) with, with, with gilding the lily and too many things, but there are people that I see do that. Like Iris Afel, um, who's an older woman, who's a fashion icon she could put on more and it'd look great. I mean, it just depends on you and how you wear it and how you pull it off. Great insights there. So Cindy, just got a couple more questions. Um, what are you most passionate about in your life right now? I, I think, um, right now, you know, definitely my styling, cause I love what I do for my clients and, uh, very happy with that aspect of my career. But I think women skateboarding, especially because we're moving towards the 2020 Olympics and there's so much going on every day I wake up and I see an article or I get a phone call and there's so many changes happening and there's so many questions that we all have moving towards the Olympics. This is our first time there. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about learning more about and watching and seeing and helping any way I can or answering any questions with information that I can, you know, glean. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time. So it's going to be fun to continue to follow your journey and what you have working on. So if you could have my listeners implement one thing into their lives, what would it be? I think the one thing you should implement in your life is try something new every week. I don't want to say every day because that's a lot, but try something new that scares you every week. Maybe it's going out to dinner alone. Maybe it's uh, calling somebody that you had, you know, some words with a while ago. Maybe it's trying a new class or something, but just try something new every week and see what motivates you and what moves you and what gets you excited and passionate. Maybe it's volunteering. I don't know, but you definitely need to continue to grow and be excited about your life. No, I can certainly attest to that and how that's helped me grow. So uh, I have to reiterate that as well. And that's some great advice there, Cindy. So, Cindy, how can my listeners connect with you and uh, stay up to date on all things you're working on? Yeah. 
Um, well, they can go to girl is not a four letter word. It's the number four, or you can type in F O U R, uh, com. You can find us there. You can find us on Instagram at the same name and also on Twitter and Facebook. And that's where you'll find all the information on everything we're doing, the book launch, all the products and how you can help support girls skateboarding. Well, we will be sure to have those all linked up in the show notes. Um, I just can't thank you enough. This was, this was great talking with you. I had a blast. And I'm really looking forward to following you on your journey and uh, continuing to learn from you. So, Cindy Whitehead, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a great show. All right. Have a great day. You too. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.